Here's what we're going to do this morning, church. Uh, I want to take you back to camp, to the first night of camp. So you saw the video, you knew all the fun stuff, but I want to talk to you about the real thing that we did at camp. And I want to share with you essentially the message from the very first night of camp so that we're all on the same page. It's it's like you went with us. If I had more t-shirts, I would give them to you. Uh, So we're going to walk through this together. So here's my question, church. Have you ever noticed that in life, almost everything that we do is based on performance? Almost everything we do in life is, is evaluated. We find our value in how well we perform. If you're a student and you're in school, it's all about the grades that you get or how much work you put into uh, those grades. If you're a student who finds your worth and your value in those grades, you know how heavy it can be to always live up to the A-plus standard. Almost everything we do is based on performance. If you're an athlete, it's all about how well you play. Obviously, that makes sense, right? Sometimes performance-based life is, is good. It's something that you want. For example, if you were going to go have heart surgery, you want a heart surgeon who has been judged off their performance, right? You don't want someone who really likes doing heart surgery but is bad at it. You want someone who's good at it if they're operating on you. Almost every single—well, that was weird. Every single thing that we do in life is, is based off performance, and it's not always a bad thing. But the truth is, regardless of what it is, when there's performance involved, performance always brings pressure. It always brings pressure. Maybe you love school. Maybe you love studying. Good for you. But even if you love school, the, 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 the pressure to perform, to always do great, to always work hard, to always have greatest, the, that pressure starts to build up and you felt it before. If you were an athlete, the, pre- the pressure to always make the team, to always make the cut, to always be good enough to go to the next level, there's pressure that comes with performing. If you do theater, the, the pressure of being good enough to be on stage. If you, you know, you're a salesperson and in your job, you have to constantly be making sales. And if you don't perform well enough in sales and it hurts your family, pressure or performance always brings pressure, especially today, families with, with social media, it feels like we're all competing with our vacations. Like every time someone goes on vacation, we're taking the best pictures possible and we're like judging our family's vacation based off of other people's family vacations or our anniversary trips. We've got to say the right thing so we live up to the standard of everybody around us. There is a pressure in our society to perform and that pressure starts to weigh on us. And if you haven't felt that yet, that's amazing. But I would bet that most of us have felt the weight of trying to perform. I felt the weight of of trying to be good enough to find value in our jobs or in our relationships or in our schools or in the things that we do. Performance always carries pressure. And here's why this is dangerous. Because sometimes performance is fine, but performance is dangerous when it comes to our faith. And if we were going to be really, really honest, church, we would all admit that most of us are trapped in a performance-based faith. Most of us are trapped in this idea that we have to perform a certain way for God to love us as much as he wants to. We think if I don't pray, then God's going to ignore me when I do pray. If I don't come to church, then God's going to ignore me when I finally start showing up. If I really want God to move in my life, I have to act the right way, look the right way, talk the right way, dress the right way, be the right way. That there's got to be a performance when it comes to our faith. Oftentimes, even being here right now is just a performance. We're here because our family made us when we were little kids, and now we feel guilty if we don't come to church. We, we, we carry this performance with us when we walk into God's uh, buildings on Sunday morning. I talk to the students about this all the time, but I call it the church mask, where families are in the minivan, in the parking lot, just screaming at each other. And before you walk into church, you put the church mask on, and everyone's like, how are you doing? You're like, I'm fine. It's like, no, you're not. You're performing. 
And a performance-based faith, it's a trap. It's a trap that you cannot escape from on your own. And if I'm going to be real, real honest with y'all, I struggle with this too. I'm, I'm the student pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to be entertaining and fun when I preach. And sometimes when I'm writing messages, I'm thinking more about performing than I am about honoring God with the scripture. We all fall into this, this trap of performance-based faith. And a performance-based faith will lead to a shallow faith, to a broken faith, to a weak faith, a faith that we can't escape from. But there is a better way. There is something so much better than performance-based faith. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to share with you Philippians chapter 3. We're in the series. We've been working through the book of Philippians, and God just worked it out so that this chapter, Philippians 3, um, that I was assigned to speak on the Sunday after camp, is the perfect chapter to go along with what we talked about at camp. So Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to walk through it with you. And I'll be honest, I'm going to read most of this chapter. Paul's going to say it better than I could anyway. But I want you to focus into the, the specifics of what he's saying and why it matters so much to us. So Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And it's reads like this. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. So just to remind you what's happening, at this point in time, Paul is arrested. He is in prison for his faith, and Paul says he rejoices in this fact. As students who were at camp, if you guys remember, we talked about Felicity and Perpetua, about how real joy is something different than we usually think it is. Like joy isn't happiness. Happiness changes based on our circumstances or our situations. But real joy is terrifying because real joy can't be stopped. You can try to jail people with real joy, but it doesn't stop them. And that's what's happening to Paul. He's been thrown in prison and the Roman authority thinks as long as they lock him up, they're going to stop him. But Paul has real joy and real joy cannot be stopped. It's an unmovable force. It cannot change. He has real joy. And so he's saying, it's a joy for me to write to you from prison while I'm chained up. This is good. And I would do it over and over again. It's no trouble for me. So he's going to give some advice to the church in Philippi that we desperately need. People in the States right now who live in this performance-based society and who are struggling with performance-based faith. Paul speaks directly to that. In verse 2, he says this, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh because we are of the circumcisions, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and we boast in Christ Jesus and we do not put confidence in the flesh. Over and over again in that passage, Paul says, watch out, watch out, watch out. And here's what he's warning them about. He's saying, church, as you pursue Jesus, there will be people who show up who are trying to convince you that Jesus is not enough. They'll try to tell you, you need Jesus plus something else, right? You need Jesus, but you need to keep the Old Testament covenantal laws, all the sacrifices, all the celebrations, all the cleansings. You need Jesus and the Old Covenant. He talks about people who mutilate themselves. What he's referring to is this this act of like physical penitence where people would feel guilty about their sins and they would hurt their own bodies to show God how sorry they were for those things. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus anything else. And Paul says, don't live that way. Don't get caught in that trap because that is just performing. You're you're following the old covenant laws just so you can prove to people that you know them. You're you're hurting yourself because it's a performance. Don't perform when it comes to Jesus. And he goes on to say that we don't put our confidence in our flesh, our performance, what we do. Our confidence comes from, from Jesus, from the sacrifice he made from us, for us, for the spirit that dwells inside of us. And he says we don't put our confidence in the flesh anymore. It's not about performance. 
It's not about how well we do. And then Paul takes a turn to be a person. And I love it when people in the Bible act like normal people because he like gets distracted for a moment. And he says, uh, he says this over in verse four. He says, although if we're going to talk about boasting in the flesh, I have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so here's what Paul is saying. If you want to play the game that it's all about performance, that it's all about how good you do and all the rules that you follow and all the structure that you keep. Paul says, if you want to play that game, I will beat you in it. Like I am better than you at the performance-based faith. He, he says, if anyone has confidence in flesh, that Paul has more. And he goes on to describe it in verse 5. Uh, he says this, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. So what he's saying is he is, uh, he's, he is an Israelite through and through. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a perfect example. His parents followed all the laws and regulations on how to give birth and how to bring a child up. From the day that he was born, he hasn't missed a beat. There's no mess up in his covenant law lifestyle. His performance was strong from the moment that he was born. Uh, he goes on, he says, uh, regarding the law, the Old Testament covenant, a Pharisee. He's saying he's a Pharisee, which means he had memorized the entire Old Testament. He knew it forward and backwards. He knows it better than any of us in the room. He was a pro at it. There was no question you could throw at him that he did not know. He knew the scripture. He was living the performance-based faith. Regarding zeal, his passion for the Old Covenant, that, that, that desire to live up to that standards. He says regarding that zeal, he persecuted the church. And we've talked about this a bunch, but before Paul met Jesus, he was one of the greatest enemies of the church. He, he was opposed to it. He was given the authority to arrest Christians. The very first Christian who was ever martyred, murdered for their faith, was a man named Stephen. And Paul is the one who instigated the riot that led to Stephen's death. He's saying, you want to you like look at your family history? My family history is better than yours. You want to see people who, who care about the rules and the laws? I was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. He says, you want people who had passion and who had zeal? I murdered Christians because I was so opposed to this. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, Paul says he was blameless. All the Mosaic laws, all 400 plus of those laws, Paul says, I kept every single one of them. I was as perfect as you could possibly be. I was the one who followed everything. I was the one who knew everything. I was the one that had all the passion. When it comes to a performance-based faith, Paul was winning at all of that. Paul's faith was all about performance. And then one day he found something better. Paul's faith was all about performance. That's what he found his value in. That's how he connected with God. That's what his community was all about. It was all about performing. And then one day Paul finds something better. And, and if I'm going to be honest, it's not that Paul found something. It's that someone better found Paul. And so he's going to switch here in, in Philippians and he's going to explain what is happening inside of him. In verse 7, he says, But everything that was gained to me, all the notoriety, all the fame, all the influence, all the like self-righteousness that I got from this performance-based faith, performance-based faith. <laughs> I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. It was a waste of time because I met Jesus. All the performing, all of that was a waste. It was a loss because Paul meets Jesus. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, all the work I did, all the struggle I did, all the burden I carried, all the pressure I lived under, all of it was a waste of time. Nothing comes close to the surpassing value, overwhelming value 
uh, of knowing Jesus. And this is important, church. He says knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, not knowing where Jesus hangs out, but of actually knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is now his new goal. His goal was to be perfect, to be blameless, to be better than everybody else. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he meets the living Jesus and the living Jesus changed his life just like the living Jesus can change your life. And Paul has a new goal and his new goal is to know Jesus, to pursue him, to know him better than he did before. He goes on, he says, because of him, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, as, as refuse, as trash, no value in it at all, so that I may gain Christ. He would throw it all away again because nothing is better than knowing Jesus and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that's based on faith. He said, this old way I lived where I was just trying to be better than everybody and I didn't want my parents to be mad at me and I wanted to live up to the standard of this law, that righteousness was worthless compared to the righteousness that he experiences in belonging to Jesus. Righteousness, a right relationship, being made whole and clean before God. He says, nothing is better than this. And so now in verse 10, he says, my goal is to know him. His goal is to know Jesus. Not know about him, but to actually know him. Not to learn about him, but to actually know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, I assume that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's goal has switched from being perfect and performing to being a person who knows Jesus. In church, this is good news for all of us because what that means is that you can know Jesus. You can actually get to know him. Many of the students, if you were to talk to them and ask them what their favorite parts of camp uh, were, the rec games were fun and dangerous, uh, the band was great, but the best parts of camp were the moments we got to experience God. Because the more you get to know him, the more you want to know him. Not just know about him, not just go to Sunday school or Bible studies or small groups and learn facts about him, not just listen to vegetables teach us about him, but to actually <laughs> know God. That's an amazing thing. Uh, when Jesus is even teaching one time in John, he says, this is eternal life that we get to know God and he knows us. This, this mystery is huge that we get to actually know Jesus, not just be introduced to him, but to actually know him. And our relationship with Jesus works a lot like our relationships in real life. And if you stay in the introduction phase of a relationship, you never get to experience the depth and the beauty and the reality of a real relationship. Just for example, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys a story of how Sarah and I met. And she doesn't like the way I tell the story always, but I have a microphone, so I'm going to do it anyway. And so here's how Sarah and I met. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I went to Georgia College and State University. Uh, any Bobcats in the room? Any Bobcats? Yeah. I, I, Jonah was counting on you to be here, man. All right. And you. I don't know yet. What's up, man? Bobcats. Uh, <laughs> my, yeah, we didn't have a football team or anything. It was just basketball. It's a great school. I love that school. So anyway, I transferred there my sophomore year of, of college. And the first week there, I went to um, the BCN, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. They had a cookout on campus. And I was like, I, I'd just become a Christian like two years before. I was still new to the faith. And I was like, I'm in college. I better make sure I have good friends. So I went to the BCM uh, and I met a lot of people there. And I didn't meet Sarah there, but she was there. And I know because she told me she saw me there, right? She saw me, but I didn't see her there. And later that week, 
there was a, uh, like a worship night at Magnolia Theater, this theater at the, the school, and Sarah was greeting. She was at, why are you not looking at me, Sarah? I don't understand. We were gre- she was greeting, and she was at the front door, and I walked up the front door, and multiple people walked in before me and after me, and I got to the front door, and she said, oh, hey, are you new here? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm new. I've never been before. And she said, let me show you where to sit. And she walked me to a seat and then sat down next to me and didn't go back to greet anyone anymore. So Sarah stalked me. Uh, <laughs> And that's like for real true, I mean, probably. So, but here's my point, right? When we first, when I first met Sarah, when we first met each other, we didn't really know each other. We, we talked about where we came from. I knew some little details. We got to know each other a little bit. But if I had stayed in that part of the relationship, if we never intentionally spent time together, if we never intentionally made a commitment to each other, ultimately, if we never made the real commitment where we stood in front of our family and our friends and God and said, it's going to be me and Sarah for the rest of our lives, we never would be where we are today. I think it's 13 years. I always forget. 13 years. 13 years. 13 years that we've been married. And and I promise y'all, my relationship with Sarah is so much better now than it ever was. And if I had just stayed in that introduction phase, I never really would have known her. I might have known about her, right? I might have known people who knew her, but I didn't really know her. And and church, the truth is a lot of people get stuck in the introduction phase of Jesus. You you come to camp because someone invites you to camp. You come to church because someone invites you to church. You you go to small group because you're supposed to. Your parents make you go to VBS, whatever it is. And you hear about him, you hear about him, you know facts about him, but you don't actually know him. What, What happened to Paul was he met the real Jesus, he, he, he was on a road going to persecute Christians, and then Jesus showed up and radically changed his life. And listen, church, when you meet the real Jesus, your life will be changed. Not immediately, you won't be perfect, but your life will change. And if you claim that you know Jesus, but your life hasn't changed, you probably haven't really met him yet. Because once you actually know him and the mystery of being known by him and that he wants you to know him, that's incredible. And that's what Paul has figured out. That's what Paul is experiencing. He met the real Jesus and now everything he used to do is worthless. And all he wants to do is know him more and more. His new goal is to know Jesus. Why did he have joy when he was locked up in prison? Because he knew Jesus. Paul ultimately, he he loses his life. He's martyred for his faith. And why was he able to do that? Because he knew Jesus. Jesus. He had real faith because he encountered the real Jesus and he didn't just know about him. He knew him. And church, my prayer for you and for my family and every student that I get to lead is that we would actually know Jesus, know him, real, deep, meaningful relationship that changes who we are. Paul goes on, he says in verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal. He, he's not perfect. He hasn't grabbed on him. He doesn't know everything there is to know about God. He's choosing to pursue him. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. And the goal was to know Jesus, right? Every effort to take hold of the goal of knowing Jesus because he knows that I have also been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul says, I will chase after Jesus with everything I got because I know he's already taken a hold of me. Verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Not yet, not completely. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me and reaching forward to what's ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promise by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says, I pursue my goal. His goal is to know Jesus. 
You see, up to this point in Paul's life, up until the moment he met Jesus, his life was all about performance. His faith was all about performance. It's all about looking right, being right, following all the rules. And then one day he meets Jesus and he's blown away to learn that Jesus was pursuing him. That while he was an enemy of the church, Jesus was pursuing him and that messed him up. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And now his desire is to pursue him and to know him with everything he's got. And here's what Paul learned. With Jesus, it's about the pursuit, not the performance. Almost every other area in your life, you're going to be judged on how well you perform. But when it comes to Jesus, it's not about your performance. It's about the pursuit. It's about desiring to grow closer to him. And with Christ, what's incredible is the the sins, the struggles, the things that we deal with, the behaviors that we want to change, the way we defeat those sins in our life is not trying harder because that's performance-based faith. It's about getting closer to Jesus. And the closer you are to him, the stronger he is in your life and the more he works in you and through you to help you grow past those things. I I had a a prayer uh, with one of our students on the very last night of camp. And he was worried about going back home and following into the same group of students, the same trap that he was in before he left for camp. And what I reminded him was, when you fail, we don't run from God. We run back to him. We pursue him harder when we mess up. Because the power of life changes not in us, it's in him. The, the power to change ourselves and to free ourselves from those sins is not in us. We're not strong enough. It's only in him. And with Jesus, it's all about the pursuit. It's not about the performance. And y'all, isn't that so good? Like we, maybe we don't even realize how heavy the burden to perform is on us. I know the students do because school like slaps you in the face with it all the time. But that pressure to be good enough, to look good enough, to make enough money, to have the best marriage, to have the best kids, to wear the best clothes, to have the right house and the car. The pressure is everywhere and it's overwhelming. And it is so good to know that with Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way. That with Jesus, you just pursue him with every single thing that you have and you chase after him. Paul said he found something so much better and his goal now is to pursue Christ, pursue knowing him. And now maybe, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you think that's too easy. Or maybe you're new to faith and someone invited you this morning and you're like, that can't be all there is. Like, great, you have Jesus, but you've got to follow all these rules to make God love you and care about you. Paul, Paul responds that as well. He says in verse 15, he says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. He says, if you want to know who's a mature Christian, this is what they think. They think it's about pursuit. It's not about performance. It's not about impressing people. It's not about looking the right way or doing the right thing. It's about pursuing him. The more you pursue him with everything you got, the more you see him move in your life. And if you think differently about anything, Paul says, if you disagree with him, then God will fix you. God will reveal it to you also. It's not about performance. It's all about the pursuit. And so here's what I want you to do, church. I want you to practice pursuing Jesus. I want all of us to practice pursuing Jesus. It's amazing when we go to camp, and we talked about this with with a lot of the students. For one week, we all got together, and we all prayed nonstop, and we all worshiped nonstop, and we all read our scriptures nonstop, and we spent time together nonstop, and God showed up in amazing ways, and it's so easy to pursue God when you're at camp. But when you get back home and the world's back around you, it gets harder and it gets harder and it gets harder. For the adults, some of us, man, we've lived under the weight and the pressure of our life and our jobs and our works and everything for so long that we've forgotten what it was like to truly pursue. And here's why this is so dangerous. This is why this is so tough. From the outside, you can't tell the difference between pursuit and performance. 
Like from the outside, I can't look at you and say, oh, that person is performing and that person is pursuing because people who are performing and pursuing, they do the same thing. Like when you're performing for God, you are at church, you're praying, you're in Bible studies. You might have memorized the scripture better than anyone else. You may be just like Paul before he met Jesus. You cannot tell when it's performance or it's pursuit. Somebody's pursuing Jesus does the same thing. They study the scripture, they pray, they worship, they gather, we come together as a body of believers. You can be side by side and you cannot tell from the outside looking in if it's performance or it's pursuit. Only you can tell. It's, it's a heart level condition. It's, it's a heart level condition. And in a moment, we're, we're going to do one more song. And I, I want you during that moment and that song, that time of worship, I want you to ask God to reveal to you what's the condition of your heart. Are you pursuing Jesus? Or are you performing for God? Are you pursuing Jesus because your desire is to know him more? Or are you performing because it makes you feel better and it quiets the guilt that is rising up inside of you? I can't answer that question for you, but I promise you the Father can. And I want you to pray those questions. I want you to pursue Jesus. And and I'll give you a few tips. Uh, I stole these from our camp speaker because I thought they were really good. Here's what Tyler, our camp speaker, said. When it comes to pursuing Jesus, the first thing you need is you need a plan of pursuit. Real relationships, like real lifelong meaningful relationships don't happen on accident. They're intentional. It's something you choose to do. And if you're choosing to pursue Jesus, to chase after him, to make him the new gold, just like Paul did, you're going to have to be intentional about the way that you pursue him. One of my favorite things about camp this year is we, uh, we put in the schedule a quiet time and we had devotions that were written out for the students. And almost all the major decisions that we had for, for like faith and for baptisms, they didn't happen in the worship times. They didn't happen when someone told someone to raise their hand. They happened in those one-on-one moments with God because students chose at camp to intentionally spend time with him. You need a plan of pursuit. The other thing you need to know is that you need people to help you pursue. You can't pursue God on your own. He's too big. He's too mysterious. There's too much to know. You need other people in your life. That's why we have small groups in Sunday schools. That's why we have student ministries and kids ministries. You need other people in your life who have the right to hold you accountable when when you're faltering and who can hold you up when you find that you are weak. You need other people in your life. You don't pursue God alone. And this one is the most important church. You got to remember that God is pursuing you. That's like the craziest part of Paul's story. While he was persecuted, like Paul, before he met Jesus, if he came in this room, he would have us all arrested, right? He was an enemy of the church and he wasn't looking for Jesus. And while he was ignoring Jesus, Jesus found him. Like God is pursuing you. You got to hold on to that truth that the God of the universe who spoke all things into being, who's holding all things together, that God desires you. He knows the numbers, uh, he numbers the hair on your head. He knows the days of your life before you experience them. And he says, I want you to be my son or I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be adopted into my family, an adoption that can never change and that can never break, that the God of the universe is desiring you. Church, that truth should shake us. It should change the way we worship and the way we sing these songs. It should change the way that we serve in kids' ministry or student ministries. It should change the way we talk to each other and we pray together. It should change the way we live every day if we would just pause for a moment and think that God has been pursuing us. That's amazing. You don't don't have to do anything. He's desiring you. 
And not only is he pursuing you, he is freeing you from the burden to perform. That all you have to do is pursue him back. And the more you pursue him, the more you experience him, the more you see him in your life, and the more you become like his son and like the person that you were created to be. Church with Jesus, it's about pursuit, not performance. So as we go into this final moment together, uh, we're going to sing a song that's called So Why. And the song makes references to a parable that Jesus told. And the parable goes like this. There was a farmer who had a hundred sheep and one sheep left. One sheep ran away. He had 99 that were with him and one that ran away. And the, the shepherd chooses to leave the 99 and pursue the one that ran away. And church, you and I were the one that ran away. Because of sin that we inherited, because of sin that's in our lives, we have found ourselves separated from God. And while we could not return to him, he pursued us. He's the one who never leaves the one behind. Isn't that amazing? He's a God who pursues. And so church, we will pursue him as he is pursuing us. And in this moment, while we sing this song and we give God everything that we got, and students, I want y'all to worship like we're back at camp so we can show people how that works. When we worship in this moment, I want you to have a private conversation with your Father in heaven. And I want you to ask him to reveal the condition of your heart. Am I performing or am I pursuing? Am I part of this just because I feel guilty and I don't want to feel that way? Or am I pursuing you because I actually want to know you? And then ask God to show you what that next step of pursuit might look like. Maybe for you, the next step of pursuit is the first step, is to finally say yes to Jesus for the first time. To, to have a moment where you pray to God and say, God, I know that I am guilty and that my sin separates me from you. But if I put my faith in you, Jesus, if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, then I will be saved. Maybe your first step of pursuit is to start a relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you, your next step of pursuit is, is to go public with baptism, to, to have that, that moment where you tell the whole world that you belong to Jesus and you seal it with the symbol of the baptism. Maybe for you, it's something smaller. Maybe for you, it's to call up a family member that you have been fighting with and make amends. And you know you can't do that on your own and you need Jesus to help you. Maybe it's to walk across the street and invite a neighbor or to share the gospel with, some, gospel with somebody that you work with, or just grab someone in the, the seat next to you and pray together, or come up front and kneel at the front and pray and let strangers that you don't know put their hands on you and pray with you. And we don't even know what's happening, and we just want to know that people are pursuing Jesus. Whatever that next step of pursuit is, ask God to reveal it to you, and then ask for the courage and the discipline to follow through. So church, as we pray in this moment, Pray that God reveals you the conditions of your heart and then ask him to show you what that next step of pursuit is and let's worship him uh, with everything that we got. Let's pray. Father, we're blown away at the reality of what it means to be known by you. That, that while, while I was still broken and dead in my sins, while I was separated from you so far away, there was nothing I could ever do to come back home. Jesus, you pursued me and I'm blown away at that fact. And Father, I pray that every person in this room will have that experience, that moment where they say, Jesus, I need you to save me. And they realize that you've been pursuing them for years and for years. Father, forgive me of my times that, that I am living that performance-based faith. 
where I start to think you care about me based on how good I preach or how many students show up to church and remind me that that's not how I'm valued in your eyes. I'm valued because I'm a son and you saved me. God, remind the people who are with us today. The same thing is true for them. They belong to you. Their value is not found in how well they perform. Their value is found in the fact that you died for them. God, I pray that, that in this moment of prayer where people seek you, that you would reveal that condition of their heart. And maybe some people's eyes would be open to the fact that they've just been performing. And maybe now's the time they can actually start pursuing and they can chase after you, not to rid guilt, but to know you better. And God, I pray that as, as people gather and we seek after you, I pray that you would show us what that next step of pursuit looks like. It's baptism or sharing the gospel or saying yes to you or just praying with someone. God, I pray you would show us what that next step of pursuit is. And then, Father, we would do whatever it took to pursue you. Because we know, Father, with you, it's not about our performance. It's about how hard we pursue. And God, we also know that all the things we talked about, all the things we prayed for, everything that happened at camp, God, none of that stuff would be possible if it wasn't for Jesus. So, Father, it's in his name and his power that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys stand up and worship.